Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. So if you have a Bible with you, grab it. We're in Luke chapter 2 still, verses 22 to, I think it's 44 or something like that. There's like a natural break. Don't worry, Ian, I know when to stop. All right, we got up here on the screen too. Thanks, Marie. All right. But the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout. He was waiting for the, the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by this spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to the God, to God, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Marjorie. Hi, everyone. I hope Santa treated everybody well and you ate lots of good uh, Christmas dinner food and desserts and stuff. Uh, here we are. We are still going through Luke, finishing up the stories of the infant and child Jesus. Um, and so tonight we get to talk about two forgotten Christmas characters. They're kind of in the deleted scenes in the nativity story. They don't make it to the manger, so we don't have any uh, nice little carvings or figures of them to put up as decorations each year. 
uh, Anna and Simeon, but even though we don't add them to our nativity displays, I think they're two of the most important Christmas characters we get to talk about uh, because it's these two that um, first get to recognize uh, on their own volition who the Christ is and what his mission is going to be. And it's these two that are going to start telling others in the temple, in the religious spheres about the Messiah has come. Uh, so Anna and Simeon, they're going to remind us uh, that Christmas is good news for the poor, but they're also going to teach us that Christmas is good news for the powerful too. And we're going to talk about that tonight. They're also going to show us that the message of Christmas is one that we don't just keep to ourselves for a good time on our private holidays with family, but it's one we get to share with others. So with that, can we bring up the slides, Marie? Yeah, so there's good old uh, Anna and Simeon with the Christ child. And what we're going to get to see through Simeon's message and through Anna's prophesying is that the pendulum has swung. Now we're not just focused on Christmas being good news for the poor only, but for those who are in power as well. And that is going to teach us that for all of us, every single individual, we're more than the worst things that we have done. And that's the main lesson I hope we get tonight. Um, so when that slide comes up, I'm just going to say a short prayer and talk about uh, what we can learn tonight. So God, thank you for coming into our space and into our world to dwell among us, to make your dwelling with us, God. Um, teach us the things that are for us to hear. Give us hearts that can hear your word and grow fruit. And uh, as we go, as we meet online and go from our computers to the rest of our lives, let us go with love for you and love for one another, uh, fulfilling the law and the prophets. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Marie, can you jump forward two slides, please? Thanks. Okay. Uh, so if you're reading this passage, one of the key things that might jump out at you at first is that Anna and Simeon are both really old. Simeon, we're told, has he's gotten this word from God that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. And so what that means is that he's at a point where for some reason or other, he probably knows he's going to die soon. Uh, that's assumedly because he's old, could be disease or something like that. But uh, the most common case to interpret that is he is an old man. Anna, we're told, it, we get a date for how old Anna is, um, and there's different ways to interpret this, but at the very least, Anna is 84 years old when Jesus is born. Uh, depending on how you read it, whether it's she lived seven years after her husband died and then lived to be 84, or if she lived 84 years uh, after her husband died, she could be as much as early 100s. I'm going to do the shorter estimate and assume she's 84 years old, but I'm a history major. So I like reflecting on history and looking into timelines and those kind of things. 
And so here's some of the pre-nativity events that Simeon and Anna both probably lived through, uh, if not Anna at least lived through them. So if we go back, if we're assuming she's 84 years old, that puts her being born around 88 BC. Uh, so she would be born. And what I don't know if we kind of think about at Christmas time, it's that Israel was not part of the Roman Empire at, you know, 100 years before Jesus was born. Uh, when Anna was born, Israel was still its own sovereign nation. They had a lot of political turmoil and had uh, different Greek kingdoms that had been fighting over them, but they were not part of the Roman Empire. It wasn't until 63 BC that Rome was first invited in to help with a civil war, and then they ended up subjugating Jerusalem and Judea to make it part of the Roman Empire. Uh, and if you do the math on this, if you kind of assume that Anna was married when she was a teenager, and then you, if you take like 13, 14, 15, 16, add seven years, uh, that would put the time her husband dies around 63 BC. So it's very possible that Anna's husband actually died in some sort of conflict over uh, this time period. So after that, uh, the next date I have listed is in the year 27. Now, Rome was a republic at the time, and it became an empire when Augustus Caesar kind of solidified power and declared himself to be the only sole ruler of Rome. Um, up to that point, it was, you had a lot of senators with powers and the triumvirate, but there was no one king necessarily. But Augustus Caesar changed all that in 27 BC. And so Simeon almost certainly lived through this and Anna did as well. And that brings us to the years between four to two BC. And that's what uh, that is what um, scholars estimate is the time when Jesus was born. So that's our background leading up to these events. And I list all this because uh, Israel at the time that Jesus is born is an occupied state, right? We know all this. We get in the Christmas stories, stories of Caesar Augustus and things like that doing the census, which means Israel is occupied. They have soldiers who patrol their area, enforcing law and order. Uh, they have heavy taxes that are implemented on them. And they're, they don't have autonomous leadership, right? They don't get to select their own leaders. The empire chooses who leads their area. And that's how you get Pontius Pilate and King Herod and things like that, or people like that. Um, and Israel believes because they're God's chosen people that they need to become an autonomous nation again. They are promised from the Old Testament that David, King David, is going to have an ancestor who's going to sit on the throne and rule over them once more. Uh, they want to be an autonomous nation so they can institute the law of Moses and make that their national laws, uh, living under the Davidic kingdom. They're waiting for the Messiah, who will be David's ancestor, to come and reinstate Israel as a political and uh, religious entity again. And I bring all this up because in our chapter today, 
it says that Simeon is longing for the consolation of Israel, for Israel to be comforted and raised out of its state of oppression and turmoil and subjugation. So that's why it's very interesting to read the words that Simeon brings when he sees the Christ child. He's been expecting this moment that the Messiah is going to come in his lifetime. He's waiting for David's ancestor to come. And he's led to the temple, you know, one of those chance God moments in our lives. And I don't know how he knows, but Simeon recognizes right away that this baby that Mary and Joseph are carrying is the one he's been waiting for. And he comes over and he takes the child in his arms and he praises God. And here's something that can only happen through the Holy Spirit. And can you bring the, that fourth slide up, please, Marie? I'm going to read this scripture text again. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What just happened here is that Simeon, who knows, who in his lifetime has watched his people become subjugated and part of an empire ruled by Gentiles who are not his own, who are not honoring God, who are not making God the sole rulers of um, and leaders of their lives, who worship pagan idols. Simeon realizes that the consolation of Israel is not the overthrow or the destruction of the Gentiles. It's not the enslavement and subjugation of the Gentiles. It's not Israel being a free state. Can you bring that? Just leave the slide up, please, Marie. The consolation of Israel is that the Messiah is going to be a light to the people. He's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And, and that's going to be the glory of the people Israel. Simeon is saying that Christ's coming is good news for Israel's oppressors. So this is what we've been talking about, right? Um, leading up to Christmas during Advent, we've been talking about uh, good news to the poor that going back to Zechariah, the powerful are silenced and those who are, don't have voices are given a voice. We see that uh, Mary in her Magnificat uh, talks about that the rulers are going to be humbled and the poor are going to be lifted up. But now the pendulum has swung. Christ has come. And it seems like that leveling that Isaiah prophesied about, that John the Baptist is going to be part of, that the Christ is going to do, that mountains are going to be leveled and valleys are going to be raised up. It's not going to be that the mountains are crushed down into valleys, but everything is going to be equal. Those who are downtrodden are going to be raised up, and those who are above are going to be brought down to the same level. All people are going to be have the light of Christ revealed to them. Amen. 
So the thing that occurred to me when I was thinking about this, though, is that we're in 2020. And I'm going to be honest, guys. Having a, a Christmas message that says good news to the powerful does not seem like good news. Um, in a world that's divided by race, uh, racial divisions that we've seen some of the greatest divides in politics uh, in this year, in the whole history of America, um, we've seen rich people get richer and poor people get poorer. We've seen people struggle under disease while those who have the ability to help do nothing. It doesn't seem like good news to say, blessed are the powerful. And, it, and so this, this hymn that Chris, or, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, that uh, Susan sang uh, was one that actually stuck with me on Christmas. Can you go to the next slide, please, Marie? Um, yeah, and some of the lyrics from it. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I really felt that this year, and I'm sure many of you guys did as well. The, the strength of hate and the fact that there is no peace, I've talked about on the large scale, but even in, on the small scale in families and uh, our personal relationships and in our jobs, there's grudges that get held and people fight and bicker and can't sit in the same room with one another. And it just seems like the good news of the gospel is impossible to really take hold. And for those that are, have the power to stop and are doing the damage, it seems like we want to damn them and curse them and not offer them hope or good news. We want it to be good news for the poor and for the poor alone. But Christ came for the world, for everyone. He came for Israel, enslaved, awaiting Emmanuel, God, with us. And he came for the Gentiles who were treading her down. And it hurts to say that. Mary has to hear that from Simeon, right? That this is actually a painful message. Uh, what we know about Mary just from this text and from what she said in our earlier chapters is Mary is poor. Uh, she comes to bring her sacrifice to the temple. And um, it says, according to the law of Moses in verse 22, uh, she, that they bring some doves and some pigeons down in verse 24. But actually, if you go back to Leviticus and Exodus and read what the passage fully says, you're actually supposed to bring a lamb after your baby is born and you're offering your purification offerings. Um, but if you're poor and can't afford a lamb, then you can buy two pigeons or doves, which are sold for mere cents. The fact that she's bringing doves means Mary can't afford the lamb that she's supposed to offer. And then the emperor of the nation that is opposing and oppressing Israel has just issued a census for what reason? So that way he can tally how many 
people are under his authority so he can tax them greater in the years to come and take the little money they have and put it towards Roman wars and Roman temples and things that uh, are opposed to the idea and values of Israel. And finally, in his prophecy, Simeon tells Mary in verse 34, he takes her aside and tells her that a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's left in vagueness here, but she gets the memo. What's going to happen with the child she's holding in her arms is that something's going to happen that causes her great grief. And we know that it's the going to come from the leaders of the Jewish people and from the Roman oppressors are going to conspire together and take her infant child one day and nail him to a tree. A sword is going to pierce her own soul too. And so to Mary, there is pain in hearing that the powerful are going to be invited into the kingdom because of the cost of what it means. So how can Israel's consolation be good news for Rome? How can you say that both the oppressed and the oppressors, both the abused and the abusers have hope? How can Israel's consolation be good news for Rome? I think it's the same way that Tiny Tim's consolation is good news for Ebenezer Scrooge. You can go back to the slideshow, Marie. Now, I've watched The Christmas Carol more this year in like the past two weeks than I think I have in my entire life. I've watched probably every different version that's existed. Uh, I've watched the Muppets version like 10 times, it seems. Um, I've just, this year, this story just took a hold of me and uh, grasped me. And hopefully you're all familiar with it. But if you're not, um, you know, it's, it's at once, it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, he's this rich, greedy man um, who has no love for his fellow men. He All he cares about, if he loves anything, is money and wealth. And he hoards it to himself. Uh, he's not generous at all. And he doesn't even spend it for nice things for, for his own. He just finds a security and an identity in wealth. So he doesn't pay his employees good, none of that. And so on a fateful Christmas night, he's visited by these three spirits of uh, Christmas past, present, and future. And together, they, these ghosts, take him uh, on this fantastical journey to visit um, uh, Christmases from his youth, Christmases that are going on in the city around him of people that he knows, and Christmases that are yet to come. So uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, one of the characters that he gets to witness is the son of one of his employees named Bob Cratchit. And uh, Bob Cratchit is uh, a good-hearted man, but doesn't make a lot of money. And he has a son named Tiny Tim, who is very unhealthy. You know, he has to have a crutch to get around. But Tiny Tim 
is just filled with love and his famous quote, God bless us, everyone. But what we see in the story is that in Christmas yet to come, Tiny Tim is no longer there. He passes away and leaves this empty gap and wound in the family. And so through the lessons of the spirits, Ebenezer Scrooge comes to love Christmas and uh, love his fellow man. Become He becomes generous and good. And that Christmas day, he goes around, buys turkey and spends the day with his family. And he becomes like a second father to Tiny Tim, right? And uh, Dickens gets to have this narration of a little glimpse of the future where it says Tiny Tim, who did not die, uh, had Scrooge as a second father to him, and he was a better father and master and all this. And um, and so what, what happens in A Christmas Carol is that Ebenezer Scrooge's spiritual salvation of getting to love Christmas and mankind becomes Tiny Tim's physical salvation, right? His family doesn't and have the resources to take care of his medical needs. But when somebody else who does steps in and starts caring, that's all he needed to uh, help take care of him. And so there was this article that I found that uh, really spoke to me on this issue that I wanted to read to you guys. And it, it, it's a little too long, so I won't read the whole thing. But how it summarizes it is that the reason Ebenezer Scrooge is such an appealing character and why a Christmas Carol is so uh, popular is that in our own way, all of us are Ebenezer Scrooge. We might not be greedy misers who uh, curse Christmas, but in our own ways, we've had people and wrongs done to us in the past, our own ghosts of Christmas past that have left us wounded and hurt and bittered and scarred at the world or at a specific person that we have no love for. And what we need to find out is we need to take a glimpse into our Christmas futures and realize that life is short, that the grave waits for us all, that, uh, that in our present there's joy and love that we get to be part of by sharing it with others if we accept the invitation. And it takes us saying yes and acting generously and acting in love of God and others. And so that's why I love Ebenezer Scrooge, because he's a part of me and he's a part of you. And if I can be mad at people who have hurt me in the past, but I can't deny the fact that I've wronged and hurt others as well. And so uh, I may never have been part, um, you know, Mary and Simeon might not have ever been part of an occupying empire, but they are sinful people too, right? None of us are without sin. This is part of why Christ has come. We're all sinners. We're all hurt people. We all need God's love and grace. And so all we can do is to understand God forgives us and he is inviting us to radically love and pray for those who are doing wrong to us. When both oppressed and oppressor walk together in the light of God, both parties, that's the kingdom of heaven. No longer one person 
ruling over the other, but the lion and the lamb together, the, uh, the forces that caused pain and the forces that received the wounds being reconciled and healed. That's why Christ as a baby grows up to take the nails that um, in his hands and to die so that none of us can say we've never done anything wrong to God. We're healed by his wounds. So that's good news. God is bigger than all of it. There's no wrong we can do that separates us from God. And so my invit- my invitation tonight is if there's a if there's a sin, if there's a past treachery you committed, to know that that's not your identity, that you're more than that in the eyes of God. Um, that God doesn't define us as liars or murderers or perverts or whatever, then his eyes were his children. So you're more than the worst thing you've done. Don't let your sins become your identity. You're a child of God. But if you take that lesson to heart, you have to apply it to others as well. There are some people on earth who have done terrible things to people I know. To There's some of us who might have experienced wounds at the hands of um, other men and women. Whether it's government systems or individuals, parents or relatives or friends. And so the challenge, the sword that has to pierce our heart is that we have to know that God loves them and we have to love them in turn. This can be harder news than knowing that we're sinners and need grace because it's easy for us to see how other people are sinners. But if you believe, if you take to heart that you're more than the worst thing you've ever done, take to heart that those who have hurt you are more than the worst thing they've done too. That's Simeon's message. The consolation of Israel is that the Christ is light to the Gentile oppressors. Christmas is for all of us, good and bad, rich and poor, big and small. It takes repentance, it takes love, it takes grace, and it takes Christ who has already come. So the good news is, even though there's hatred all around us and 2020 has been a painful year, uh, the carol ends on a high note. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail and right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's my encouragement for us tonight, church. I love you all. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.